Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. Boxing fans have to decide what they want because they're never happy. So says this week's guest on an episode, which is a little bit different from what we normally bring you on this show. We've had 10 Irish fighters on the last nine shows, but this one's got more of an international flavor, although it all links back. When I saw the former Golden Boys matchmaker, Roberto Diaz was in town for the Jason Quigley homecoming. I knew we had to get him for the Rocky Road. After all, he knows more about it than anyone. He's the guy who helps guide a young fighter from their debut to a world title fight deliberately putting different sorts of obstacles in their way along the route so they can eventually become complete champions. For some young fighters who've moved far from home, he's almost like their counsellor or father figure too. He certainly has a great relationship with Jason Quigley, coming to Ireland for the first time to see the Donegal fighter making his home debut as a pro. And he speaks here about working with other Irish fighters such as Aaron McKenna, Jamie Cavanagh and Spike O'Sullivan. Roberto's got an amazing life story of his own, a cancer survivor, he grew up in San Francisco and nearly fell into gang life before being sent to live with his relatives in Mexico as a teenager. He ended up working in boxing through his friendship with Marco Antonio Barrera and ultimately became one of the most influential people in all of the sport. Here, he tells us about working with stars such as Canelo Alvarez, Bernard Hopkins, Ricky Hatton, Eric Morales, Sugar Shane Mosley and Oscar De La Hoya and the perils of being a matchmaker. We also look ahead to some upcoming super fights like Javante Davis versus Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney versus Vasil Lomachenko and Katie Taylor versus Chantel Cameron. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Roberto Diaz. Kevin Byrne here. I'm sitting here with Roberto Diaz, formerly the matchmaker for Golden Boy Promotions for 15 years, 15 rounds completed alongside Oscar De La Hoya. Diaz is now out on his own and ready for a new challenge in the sport. Roberto, welcome to Ireland. First time here. Kevin, thank you so much for having me. Yes, first time. Uh, it's been fantastic. The people have, op- have received me with open arms. Um, it's been great. It's been great outside of the weather, a little rainy and a little cold for me, but uh, the atmosphere, uh, the reception has been beautiful. Yeah. So obviously we're here for the Jason Quigley uh, return fight. Jason Quigley has been a professional since 2014 and he's kind of finally back to boxing at home. You've got a long-standing relationship with Jason from your time at Golden Boy. How did you get to know him? You know, Jason, well, 
even before Jason, I worked with a lot of fighters through the years at Golden Boy. You see them come, you see them go, you see uh, the, the development and the progress and seeing world champions and seeing, um, you know, you see it all. Jason came in, he was quite unique, very different. Um, him and I bonded real quick. I was involved in every single one of his fights. And we developed through the years a trust, a, a, a good good relationship. We became very close friends. Um, one thing we had in common is one of his biggest uh, idols in boxing is Marco Antonio Barrera, who I was fortunate enough to work with for a few years. I was able to introduce him to Marco. And and, and it was something that I could see genuinely with, with Jason. He was uh, genuinely, he is a, a great kid, a great guy, a great young man. And it was a no-brainer for me when I saw that he was going to return to, to want to be a part, wanted to be a part to, to at least witness and see whatever support I can give him, whatever advice I can give him. And I'm glad I'm did. I'm excited that in a few hours, he, we see him for the first time fighting at home in Ireland and fighting where a lot of this began. So it's going to be something that's going to probably be very emotional. I wouldn't be surprised if after we see some tears from Jason as well as some, you know, happy moments. But it, it is something that is um, nostalgia. You know, you, you you come back to where a lot of it started. So I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, Roberto, you got your start in boxing, working alongside Marco Antonio Barrera. But way back when, you come from San Francisco, California. Uh, I've a lot of, like, it's a city of immigrants, a city of Irish my mother and father's family ended up there. Your family ended up there coming from Mexico. Uh, my relations say big city, small town. What was your experience growing up in San Francisco? It was rough and tough, wasn't it? It wasn't it wasn't exactly all I was listening to speaking on the Tristics and Dixon podcast. It wasn't exactly the Golden Gate Bridge and Fisherman's Wharf. It was it was a tough time. Correct, correct. Um I wouldn't change it for anything in the world because it shaped me to who I am today, those experiences are like a fighter that has to go through those four and six rounds to get ready for those eight and 10 rounds. Um, back in those days, I grew up in the Mission District, and the Mission District was really in San Francisco. Like you said, uh, it's a small town. It's a small city, but living big because it, it's segregated. It's like you have the Italian, you have the, the Irish, you have... It's all in neighborhoods. And the Mexican neighborhood, the Latino neighborhood was in the Mission District. And it was gang infested. It was it was really bad. There was shootings and killings and, and everything. Every day, every day you wake up and there was something. And one way or another, you had to connect <laughs> with one or the other. And I ended up, uh, yeah, getting in some trouble and, and, and running with gangs and, and had to... If I had to get to school, I had to walk 15 blocks one way because you couldn't walk into this neighborhood or that neighborhood because you'd bump into people you didn't want to bump into or run through. And again, it, it, it's not something uh, that I glorify. In fact, I talk to a lot of the young fighters that I meet today who are still in that border of being in the gangs or not. And I try to give them my advice because I've been there, done that. Um, but it is something that I won't try to ignore or forget because, again, it shaped me and taught me that 
you can go against the odds. And sometimes, not every time the odds are going to be in your favor, but you just got to push through. Did you, were you more worried about the other Mexican gangs or was it the Irish gangs, the Italian gangs? What, like, did you get in fights with the Irish gangs? No, no, it was really, it's funny because maybe that would have been okay. But no, you, we were fighting amongst each other. And, and it's funny because sometimes it was, you look at somebody and it's like, hey, that's my cousin. <laughs> but they were on the other side of the fence. So it's like, uh, yeah, it, the whole mission district was full of uh, Latino gangs and they were killing each other off. Right. So you got your out, you got, you got like exiled to Mexico. You get to stay with, the, stay with the family down there. And you came back to San Francisco, a different man from your experience. You're going back to your family's home place, which is probably an unusual route for a Mexican American kid growing up in California. That doesn't really happen, does it? Or it was, it does, I don't know. you know, at the moment it was something I was so angry at my family and my parents because I was tricked. I was tricked into a trip to Mexico. I was told, uh, do you want a car? My dad tells me, you want a car? And what teenager, especially growing up in my neighborhood, to have a car at 17? And I said, absolutely. I didn't even have a license. And he says, okay, do me a favor. I'm not feeling well. I'm ill. Go to Mexico. Get some money out of the bank that I have there. Come back with it. I'll buy you a car. So I was on the plane the next day. Uh, a few weeks into my trip, uh, I'm asking my uncle now every day, hey, when are we going to the bank? When are we going to the bank? Because all I'm thinking is to get back home, buy my car, and go have fun. And one day my uncle sat me down and said, because he, he, my uncle didn't tell me right away, oh, tomorrow we'll, we'll go next week, or, you know, I got some things going on. And then one day he sat me down and he said, there is no bank, there is no money, there is no car. And I was shocked. I was lied to. And that's when I realized, okay, I was angry. I had planned on going back, not even seeing my family anymore and then just doing my thing. But uh, today I, I, I'm grateful because they made that decision that changed my life. Um, living in Mexico, I was now going out with friends that were the son of the mayor and the son of the, the, the car dealership. And it was a totally different group, a different lifestyle. And you're right, because I come in really... Though I had the Mexican blood in me, I had never lived in Mexico. I didn't even read it or write it. At the beginning, yes. At the beginning, yes. Uh, They see you as what they call pocho. And that's, you're not from here. You're not from there. You're you're Mexican. You know, your parents are Mexican, but you're not. But eventually I fit in and realized there was a different, uh, there was an opportunity to live very different, not having to look over your shoulder and worry about running into somebody that wanted to stab you or, or shoot you or kill you. So I learned to have fun in a nicer way. I could, I, instead of drinking in a street corner, I could have some drinks and food in, 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 in a home environment and in, in a safe environment. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that a lot. You, you took the fans fantasy route into boxing. You know, you, you were a fan of Marco Antonio Barrera. You got him, you know, you met him, got his autograph, got him to send you a parcel of some, some gifts and then earned his trust, became a friend, you know, and worked your way into boxing like that. So you just spent 15 years at Golden Boy Promotions. And like for, for an obsessive fan of the sport, that must have been like the stuff of dreams. Because like you're looking at the fighters that Golden Boy have worked with over the years before we even touching on some of the Irish guys, but 
like I look at the names, obviously, you know, you've, you've been working as a matchmaker for Canelo and Bernard Hopkins. You're working alongside Bernard Hopkins with Barrera, Maidana, you know, Deontay Wilder, Keith Thurman. Like, just all the best names in boxing in the last couple of decades, effectively. Like, is it the stuff of dreams for you? It is. It, it, it is so real that, I mean, there's days that I still wake up and say, how did this all happen? It's because you you could tell it and our listeners can hear it and say that, that, that doesn't happen, but it does. And that's a message to everyone that, you know, hears this is dreams do come true. You just have to believe and you just have to take those chances and, and take those risks. And if you fall, like our fighters, like our idols, if you fall, you got to get up and keep going and, and don't let that discourage you because every day is a day for opportunity. Did um did any boxers over the years were any boxers particularly difficult to deal with over the years for you? Well, yeah, there's always been that. Uh, I remember one of the fighters, uh, one of the managers, tell me, "Is he really worth dealing with so many headaches?" And I said, "Yes, because he's that good." Mm-hmm. And through the years, there's there's been those characters. Uh, you know, sometimes they change. It, it, it's normal uh, when money, fame, uh, fake friends, all of a sudden they change. Not all. That's why you appreciate a Jason Quigley who has been the same, same, same lad since day one. I mean, I, I've never seen that. Uh, look, he's 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 getting off the rail right now, and then no, but it happens. But it's not something that sometimes uh, changes them because when all those fake friends leave, run away, and go find somebody else because you came up, you you lost, then they come back and realize, you know, and they come back to who they are naturally. Can you explain the hidden skill behind being a matchmaker? What the role entails? Because I think people understand on the outset. It's quite obvious what a promoter does gets up on the stage and talks a load of nonsense or whatever and the manager you know takes his percentage and a trainer does this but there's a certain um, there's a certain sorcery to being a matchmaker you know the matchmaker if I can give advice to boxing fans is that's probably the role you don't want when it comes to boxing um, and, I, and I mean it with the most humble way because uh, a matchmaker is not going to get the glory when a fighter wins it's him, it's the corner, it's the trainer, it's the managers, it's even the promoter. The matchmaker doesn't get any type of, oh, thanks to the matchmaker. For the fans, they don't, wow, this was a great fight because of the matchmaker. So it's, it's, there's no glory in being a matchmaker. On the contrary, there's sleepless nights, uh, a lot of headaches. Imagine you have a card set up and you get a phone call Fighter A got cut, the fight's off. Or fighter B came in and he's 15 pounds heavy. Or he didn't pass a medical. So you're always turning off fires. Uh, it takes somebody, and I don't say this because of me. I say this for the, all the other matchmakers. It takes somebody very special with thick skin. Um, because 
again, you're going through turning off fires left and right. You, you, you're turning one off and another one's lit up over here. So it, but it is a beautiful job because when you read or you hear fans without telling you, oh, great job, but you hear, wow, what a great fight. You know, you had something to do with that. And, and that gives you the glory of just knowing or seeing a young fighter become a world champion that you debuted, you know, to see an old fighter that's been a champion regain a title. Uh, they already had that before you started working with them. But to see one from day one grow into that world champion and you know you had a little bit of that, that gives all the glory. Because it's perilous, isn't it? I kind of, just during this conversation, it's dawned on me. It's like being a soccer goalkeeper. You need to make some vital saves, but you're not really going to get the credit. The strikers don't get the credit or the captain further up the pitch. You're not really going to get the credit, but you might be the sole reason that your team has won on a particular day. But if you make one mistake, the whole thing kind of falls there. You get the blame. Like It's perilous, isn't it, working with like a, a company like Golden Boy for someone like Canelo Alvarez, a billion-dollar commodity. You're matching him against people like Shane Mosley. We saw what he did to Anton, Antonio Margarito. If Mosley brought that against Canelo, like, none of what followed afterwards would have really happened. And like... I guess, is that a fight you pat yourself on the back for? And, and likewise, is it worth taking the risk against a Floyd Mayweather? Okay, we lose, but we make a lot of money and, you know, he, his, his career is not, he's not going to get knocked out. Like, what, what's your experience as working with a young rising star of Canelo? Uh, Canelo with? You're absolutely right. It is a fine line because you can't, if you do it too soon, you can ruin a career. There's sometimes fighters that can't come back from a devastating defeat. The physical part, they'll heal. But the psychological part, sometimes they can't come back from. Uh, but it is a fine line. If you go too soon, you can ruin a career. And if you go too late, you might not get that from the fighter because it's a prime that it doesn't last for a long time. It's, it's a short span. It's a short career. Um, you have to take risks. I think uh, it's a young man's sport. I think today, boxing, that's one of the biggest problems we're facing is there's still a lot of the Mayweather blueprint that the young fighters that came after Floyd and glorified and, and idolized Floyd are trying to emulate because they think as long as I'm undefeated, I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to be famous. I think we still need a few more years to get over that of that generation the greatest fighters in boxing history always lost and found ways to get back and come back and win. We talk about Muhammad Ali. We'll talk about Hagler. We'll talk about Hearns. All these fighters lost, you know, but they were respected because they always fought the best. With Canelo fighting Floyd, uh, I don't think... In fact, Canelo doesn't see it as a loss. He saw it, he sees it as a learning experience because we, even though it was too soon and we found out after, he became a much better fighter. The world knew who he was before the fight. And I truly believed he was going to beat Floyd because with Canelo, Floyd faced something he had never faced before. A younger, bigger man. He had faced bigger, but they were older. He had faced uh, younger but they were coming from smaller weights. So generally I thought, you know what, Canelo's strong, physically strong, young enough to compete and beat him. 
Obviously, we saw Floyd's a great fighter. Floyd's a great businessman. Floyd uh, can adapt like no other. Um, he's one of those fighters that he's a tr he, he doesn't need the trainer. All he needs is somebody to give him water because he fights like a trainer. He has a different IQ in that set to, to adjust to whatever's in front of him. I thought Ricky was going to beat him. I thought Ricky had a great chance of beating him because I had seen Ricky Hatton uh, physically rough and tough inside. And if he can make him uncomfortable, that's the shot to beat him. Obviously, Floyd wasn't alone that night. He, Ricky couldn't make him uncomfortable because he was never given the chance to fight inside. And Floyd realized after that round where Ricky uh, got frustrated with, with the referee that Floyd said, I got into his head. Now it's just a moment of time. Two Irish fighters that you've worked with over the years. Um, you were working with Jamie Cavanaugh for a while. Aaron McKenna was there in uh, Fantasy Springs as well, having his fights. Ended up on this side of the war. What were your experiences working with those guys? You know, I worked with Jamie Cavanaugh from pro debut uh, until almost the end of his to be, to be retired, a uh, great kid. I picked up Jamie, not even knowing much about him as an amateur. I picked him up because he was introduced to me in Las Vegas in a, in a locker room. Um, and he spoke perfect Spanish. And I look at him and I'm like, oh, here's the second coming to Canelo. It looks Irish, looks, uh, you know, but he speaks Spanish. So great kid to work with. Very dedicated, didn't have to be baby in him, made weight, a, a true professional. Um, working with McKenna, young, explosive, quiet. Those are the ones to fear, you know, those, those silent killers. Um, also worked with Spike O'Sullivan, very colorful, the opposite, uh, a promoter's dream because, you know, just his whole personality, yeah. but genuine, okay, a great kid. Spike in a second because I think. Two of the fighters that you, you, you know or that you knew plan to fight for world titles in the next while, the Spike is hoping to get away there. McKenna's matchmaking has come under a bit of scrutiny since he's moved back to the UK and Ireland. He's fighting fellas he's expected to beat. Are you disappointed in his matchmaking since? Uh, obviously, the kid's got a lot of talent and a lot of intensity. And it, I'm sure he'd be matched a bit harder if he was still a golden boy, but there's a different route to take as well. And what, what do you think about it? You know, one thing that I do, I I heard a lot when I was a golden boy and people would rumor and talk and say, and you greet it, that if you didn't want to be babied, you go to golden boy. Mm. And I take that with a lot of pride because you're in boxing. You're not in, uh, if, if you don't want to fight, go play another sport. Boxing is something that you don't play. And if, if, it's too much for you, too hard, then go play baseball, go play football, go play basketball. But it's a different breed. And when you see talent, you want that talent to progress. And little by little, you know, Aaron King, he was very young. He is a kid. So you, you, you do have a progress of not babying, but slower steps. And as you see that development, you start stepping it up. And every once in a while, you have a test and you have a test. But when you're not allowed to test, eventually, and I said this before I started at Golden Boy, I wasn't there to build a record. I was there to build champions. And if that meant going 18 and 2, but becoming a world champion the day you fight for it, 
then it was worth it. I didn't want to do 20 and no 20 knockouts. Yeah. And then the first time you fight for a world title, you get blown away because you didn't fight anybody on the way up. Remember, it's a short career. The development has to happen. Otherwise, that prime's going to pass. And then what happens is before retirement, you rush in, but you went from A to Z without hitting that middle ground to get tested and to get groomed. So what happens? They get blown out. I'm hoping that doesn't happen to Aaron, but it's at this point, I believe he must be like 15 and old. 16 or 15, yeah. Yeah, so it's time to start looking into European titles, into international titles. Was Turiano Johnson too soon for Jason Creepy? Was that a personal disappointment? Was it a failure of matchmaking or was it a failure on Jason Creepy's part to be ready for the test because he obviously you're at fringe world level when you're fighting Tariano Johnson and it, it didn't go it didn't go well from quite a significant step setback in his career. I I wouldn't I don't I don't want to sound like I'm pointing fingers, but at the time uh before the Tariano fight happened, um the WBC ordered a world title eliminator between Jason Quigley and Yamaguchi Falcao. Irish against Brazil. Two Tremendous amateurs, one a medalist. I love the fight. I love the fight, but I didn't order it. The WBC ordered it. And I love the opportunity because I saw Jason winning the fight. I had both fighters. I, I, I worked with both fighters. And I saw Jason winning the fight and becoming mandatory to world title. But at the time, his trainer didn't like the fight. His trainer said, well, it's a, it's a no-brainer for Golden Boy. They have both of them. That was just fortunate because they were both highly ranked, both undefeated. So when that fight, we had to call the WBC, turn it down. Then Toriano fight came. I wasn't even at the fight, but I remember watching it and start sending texts to management and to Golden Boy staff. Stop the fight. Stop the fight. Tell the corner to stop the fight. There was something that I saw even on the two. That was not what I was accustomed to. And there was something bothering Jason. And I, I could see right through him. So, fortunately, I mean, eventually they stopped the fight. Uh, was it too soon? No. No. I just think it was Toriano had a great night. And Jason didn't have, one, obviously, one of his best nights. Because skill-wise, boxing-wise... Um, Jason should beat him 10 out of 10. Um, I think that was that one night where Toriano was very strong, very motivated, very, he was ready. And Jason, some reason, got really tired early on. He, um, Jason Quigley had his one title shot against Demetrius Andra, a middleweight. It seems that very few other middleweights want to fight. Quigley put his hand up and as a result got the fight. Did you think he could win that one? And did you, do you think he can come back from that defeat to, to fight for a title or to win a world title again? So that fight, uh, even before that fight was officially done, there was a fight even with more money that wasn't for a world title offered to Jason. And this is where he is unique. He is one of a kind. And, and, and we have to remember when, when they're young kids at 8 or 10 years old. Is that Japan, right? Have we any chance? No, it no. was... Uh, Jaime Munguia. Okay. Jaime Munguia. And when they first step into that gym and put on a pair of gloves, the dream of a young man is not to become rich and famous. 
it's to become a world champion. That's the glory that they're seeking when they first lace up the gloves. Obviously, if you become a world champion, fame and money comes. So remember that part when, when he's offered more money to fight Mugia. Jason says no. Now, in hindsight, people can hear this today and say, well, he should have done that. Well, no, there is no moment to see what's going to happen and then come back, you know, back to the future and then and, and, and change it. But you have to respect that. It wasn't about the money. It was Jason's mentality was, I'll fight for the world title. I'll beat the champion. I'll become champion. And then I can fight Mungia for this much or more. So the mentality was there. The, the rhyme frame of mind was there. Uh, the hunger was there. Demetrius Andre, to this point, has proven he belongs there. He's never been beaten. Um, and you're right. Nobody really wants to fight him because of his style. Yet Jason said, I'm in. I'll fight him. Um, it, was, it was a setback. I think the time off has helped them rest the body, rest the mind. I saw a different Jason yesterday again here at the weigh-in, uh, smiling, enjoying, taking in the moment. Obviously, this fight is very important because a defeat here can end that dream. Uh, a victory can allow that dream to continue. It, this fight is going to be very crucial to see where he's at. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of questions on his mind when he walks to that ring. The nerves are going to come back. It's almost like a pro debut, but he's coming off a lot. So once that bell rings, that first round, the nerves hit again. And I'm aware that those listening to this interview will know already the result of the fight. And we'll catch up with you after the bell has taken place, just for a couple of minutes for your verdict on the, on the fight. Can I ask you while I have you here for your opinion on some of the big upcoming fights in the next couple of weeks? Absolutely. Um, so obviously somebody you've worked really close with at the Golden Boy is uh, Ryan Garcia. And he's going to be taking on Gervonta Davis. Uh, what a collision. It's unbelievable that they've actually come together and they're going to take part in this. this bout. What, what do you think of it? Um, is it too soon for Garcia? Is it, or is, Ger is Gervonta Davis going to go through? Gervonta Davis sounds very confident. Or both, both guys sound very confident. I'm really excited for the fight. I think um, I'd, I'd have Gervonta Davis as my favorite. In that Again, this, this is what boxing needs. It's a young man's sport. This is when they should be fighting each other. We're starting to, to step away from that, again, that Mayweather style of, you know, you have to be undefeated. Here you see it, two undefeated young fighters willing to fight each other, wanting to fight each other. That fight was made because Davis and Garcia both wanted it. That's what the fighters have to hear and do. As long as they want it, tell your promoter to get it done. And that's their job to go get it done, to work with the other promoter and, and put everything together to make it possible. I love the fight. I think it is a real 50-50. And, and, and what I mean by that is on Davis' side, to me, Ryan is the best fighter Davis has fought to this point. No disrespect to all the champions in the past, but Ryan is faster. Uh, he'll have height, reach, weight, talent that Davis has not seen. On the other hand, Davis is also the best fighter that Ryan will have stepped into the ring with once he steps into that on fight night. Uh, 
the intangibles. Davis has to get inside. He has to be rough. Ryan has to keep him on the outside. Don't let him get inside and be rough. Use your height. Use your reach. Use that speed and mix it up. Set up the trap. Um, I have to go with Ryan because this is a kid that I signed when I was at Golden Boy. This is a, a young man that uh, I've done all of his fights. And you think if he wins this fight in, in style, like, what does it do for his profile? Even he can become the biggest star in boxing if he does. It's the intangibles, you know, we're it, 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 it goes back to many years of getting fights video, back in the day. DVDs and and now links and look at my young fighter and everybody telling you I have the next Mike Tyson and I have this and I have the next Chavez and I you know when I saw Ryan I I didn't have to be told who he reminds people of but right away it was like wow this is the closest thing I've seen at, at that young frame wise look wise uh, stylistically to an Oscar De La Oscar didn't have that left hook like Ryan, but he had a beautiful left jab because he's a natural southpaw. And I said, wow, this kid, and he was young enough. Then you saw the flaws. Again, it's a progress. But if he can make it, this is a star. And look where he's at right now. You're right. If he wins in fashion, catches Davis coming in with that left, followed with the right, knocks him out. You do have a superstar. Just another big super fight coming up was uh, Vasil Lomachenko versus Devin Haney, May 20th. Uh, another one that's a pick and fight, isn't it? I'm, I'm probably veering towards uh, Devin Haney at the minute just because he's got the, the youth advantage. It's probably a good time for him. As a matchmaker, would you agree? I'm a Lomachenko fan. I always have been since, since I first saw him at the Olympic Games. One of the best fighters I've ever seen in my life. But I think maybe in terms of timing, maybe Haney's team. Got this one right. What do you think? So I faced both of them. I was not a believer of Devin Haney until he proved me wrong with Jorge Linares and Joseph Diaz Jr. I've fascinated seeing Lomachenko do things like you said, Kevin, that normally you don't see. I, I, I compare him to, to a feeling, you know, to, to feeling like a cat. The way he moves in that ring. Um, if you would have told me two or three years ago, asked me the same question. No-brainer, Lomachenko. Today, I see a lot of advantages for Devin. Uh, again, youth. Devin, even though he's still 24, I believe, his IQ is very high. Um, I think he'll slow down the pace, use his, his, his size, uh, the jab, how he uses it to create that distance. Um, and Loma... Is the fans have to remember he's not a lightweight. He's only winning at lightweight because he's that talented. But he should be at 130, not at 135. He just wants to do things and he's daring to do things. I almost signed Lomachenko to Golden Boy and he wanted to fight his first professional fight for the world title. Uh, He he is very, very different, cut with different swords. But I think now, um, age factor. All the amateur fights, the injuries come up all the time. You know, I think Loma has seen his better days. And although it's a great fight and either one can win, I have to favor Devin Haney in a unanimous decision. Like you were 15 years at Golden Boy. I'm 15 years in my job. I first saw Lomachenko 15 years ago. It's a long time. You know, you've had a good innings in our particular roles. You know, the big fight that's concerning people here in Ireland at the minute is Katie Taylor's homecoming against Chantel Cameron. She's fighting a bigger opponent. 
undefeated, younger, fresher, possibly stronger Taylor. Um, she's, that's, I imagine it's another quite a 50-55. How do you see that, that one going? Matchmaking-wise from Taylor, it's a risk. What do you think of it from, from the, from the matchroom side? I think it's a, it's a risk she didn't have to take, but she herself wanted it and went out and ensured it happened. That's that's where you have to give the fighters credit. You know, we can't be that Monday morning uh, quarterback where, oh, they shouldn't have taken it. We want boxing fans have to decide what they want because they're never happy. If if you want to see the great fights, but then the risk is high and they lose, they shouldn't have taken that fight. Well, that's what you've been wanting, wanting these fighters to be. And Katie, I mean, geez. Katie is amazing. I'm a big fan of Katie Taylor's. Uh, she does things so well. The fight with Serrano put women's boxing on a different level, showed the world that they can be just as exciting, if not more. And the beauty of working with women in the game of boxing, in, in, in the sport of boxing, sorry, not the game, in the sport of boxing is they want to fight each other. They, they're not taking that blueprint of, well, let me take the safer fight. All these women today want to prove that they're the best and want to dare to, to dare to be great. And Katie's doing that. You're right. She didn't have to take this fight. However, she's doing it at home. It had to be something special. It had to be something big. It had to be something where people would think this is too much of a, a risk. And that's what, it's, that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for your time. And um, we're nearly we're nearly done. I believe that you know, even from speaking to you, from listening to certain interviews, you seem to spend so long around the sport, completely consumed twenty four seven, three hundred and sixty five days a week. You live a life through, like vicariously through the fighters. You live a life of like boxing metaphors, and you, you know the fight is every day. You've recently been successful in a fight of your own with cancer. Can you tell us about your journey with cancer? It's close to my heart. I've lost my mother through it. And everybody has lost somebody true. But can you tell me about your own journey? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, again, one of those things that seemed so distant because it was so many years ago, about 22 years ago. Um, but it's still when, when that switches on and I hear of somebody going through that battle, I remember. And I want to be in that corner. And I want to help in any advice I can. And to this day, People ask me, that must have been the worst time of your life. I won't say it, it was the best because the chemotherapies and all the illness and the sickness and not knowing if you were going to wake up the next day or, or, or live through it. So I won't say it was the best, but I won't say it was the worst because I learned a lot about me. I learned a lot about how important it is to have that corner like the fighter does in the fight. You're not, you can't fight alone. What part, what part of you was affected or how long did the struggle go on for? I was diagnosed in October and I was in remission by March. So I was very, very fortunate, Kevin, because obviously you hear of people and, and know of people that have battled it for years. Uh, I could not imagine uh, battled this for years. Like just the time that I battled it, it, it was enough. There was days that I wanted to throw in the towel. I wanted to give up. I wanted to not continue. In other words, I was okay with if, if I would have died. But my corner, which was my family, my friends, they gave me so much support and encouragement. 
that it was okay, one more round, okay, one more round. And eventually they they saw me through until the hand was raised. And that's how I am my life today as a boxing match. You're gonna have a bad day. You're gonna have a good day. You're gonna have a bad round. You're gonna get dropped. You gotta get up. You gotta keep fighting. And you know, to those that are that hopefully hear this message is that's life. Boxing is life. What's next for you, Roberto? And um, you've obviously parted ways with Golden Boy Promotions after 15 years with them. What's in your future? You know, right now uh, I took a, a, a couple months off to, to think. Uh, there was one moment that I said, you know what? It's it's. I've done what I've never dreamed. I, I, I never dreamed to be here. Unfortunately, uh, again, it is a dream come true. Those memories will never go away. I'll, I'll always cherish them. And I was ready to walk away, but uh, it's like a good drug. It, it, it brings you back in the love for the sport, the passion for the sport. Um, you know, through all the goods, ups and downs, seeing those young men, those little boys make that dream come true and become world champions and embracing their father or mother. And, and that really brings that the love of the game for me and I think that's what I'm going to be doing uh, working with fighters directly now in the management or, or advisor role but really trying to help them now achieve those dreams with the knowledge of what the promoter has on the other side as well it's not just about me 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 there's a fine line where it has to be equal. it has to make business sense for both sides and I think Having that knowledge will help me with these young fighters get what's fair, not what they think is fair, but what it is fair. Well, look, that was very insightful and very inspirational. Roberto, Roberto Diaz, welcome to Ireland. I hope you've had a couple of points of Guinness so far. I hope you've given you a warm welcome. I hope you enjoy your time here. Thank you very much for joining us today on The Rocky Road. Uh, join us again next week. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And I send all my best. And thank you, Dublin. That's part one out of the way. We actually recorded it just before Jason made his re winning return to the ring, beating journeyman Gabor Gorbix over 10 rounds. Gorbix was his fiber and he wouldn't look out of place on an episode of The Last of Us. The next fella has a little bit more about him attacking wise though. When I'm speaking to Diaz here, I ask if Quigley can get back into world title contention. Uh, well, since the interview took place, they've announced a fight for him that's going to answer the question quite emphatically. Jason Quigley is going to take on Matchroom's new Puerto Rican star, Edgar Berlanga, at Madison Square Garden Theatre on June the 24th. Berlanga has 20 fights, 20 wins, the first 16 of which were all in the first round. His last four victories have seen him go the distance. The hope, from an Irish perspective, is that Diaz has seen something in him that Quigley can overcome. Here he is, though, back at the Fighters Hotel after Quigley's first win in almost two years. In some of the biggest arenas in boxing, Vegas, New York, all over the world, even Manchester in England, London. Today's atmosphere was amazing with, with maybe a quarter of the people of these big arenas, uh, a very small percentage, but it was the love and, 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 and real boxing fans uh, that were in each and every fight. You could see a group showing the support for their fighters. I had a fantastic time. Ireland's been amazing. Um, it's, it is my first time. It won't be my last. I look forward to coming back many, many more times. 
today was exciting because you see those young, excited, motivated, hungry fighters that tomorrow, as long as there's the support from the fans and the media, can become that next world champion, that next Barry McGuigan, that next Wayne McCullough. Um, there's so much talent here. As far as Jason, it was very difficult coming back, not only to where he started, but coming back after a defeat and the way he was defeated in the world title. There's a lot of questions to be answered to himself, and he answered them because now that loss to Andre is behind. One part of me wanted that finish him, finish him. And you were sat behind me. I could hear that. Yeah. You were going for it from round five on. You were like, it's like, okay. Jason. I wanted a few rounds, one round knockout, two round knockout, even a third round knockout wouldn't really erase that uh, or answer the questions. But after the fifth, I said, okay, finish him. Put the punches together. But the other part of me says, he got some rust off. He got some rounds going. He got that in the bank. And now the defeat's behind him. Now it's step it up. Let's move on. And look, with him, you don't have to worry about does he train. Today, after all those years, didn't get sloppy. He wasn't overly tired. Was composed in control. I would like to see a couple more fights at this level of uh, European level. You could see even in the other cards, and with all due respect, there were some very good fighters I saw there uh, that I'm excited about. But you could see Jason as the main event being the more experienced fighter, having fought all over the world. Yeah. I'd like to see another one, maybe a European title in the next fight. And then after that, an international belt. Once he cracks the top 15 in the world, then it's a matter of, okay, let's take it. Did you see any uh, young fighters that caught your eye there tonight in particular? Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, the younger Walsh, hey, you know, he, he was, you could see how sometimes they were a little anxious to, to get going. Um, the older Walsh, I, I, I was happy to see a pro debut. Um, Brett, very impressed with him. Um, there was a kid on the card that I also really liked that I guess it was his first fight back after three years. He had had a shoulder injury. Senan Kelly, was it? Yes, yes. Senan. Senan. Senan was really exciting. Brett was very exciting. Hurt his hand in the first round, but fought it through. I could see the Ricky Hatton influence working on the body. Yeah. Um, very fun to watch. On you could tell. Uh, I think there was another kid, Tyler. Who, who won in the first yeah, round, good-looking kid. Right, yeah. yeah, so there was a lot of excitement, and it's fun to see at this level because you're seeing uh, want, will, inexperience, flaws, but this is the beauty because in a few years when we look back and who they can turn out to be, um, there was a kid, Donovan, that I told him after the fight, the old... Uh, the the guy who won by knockout or the guy who won inside the, di or the, the distance fight? The, the, the second brother. The one that fought later. Yeah, the guy who was Patty. Was it Patty? Yeah, Patty. Yeah. I told him, Patty, boxing needs you. He, he seemed to not only please all the fans when he walked into the ring, but he had a lot of girls, a lot of females 
you know, excited about seeing him. So that's what boxing needs. Boxing needs not only a good fighter inside the ring, but a good entertainer, um, a, a, somebody that outside the ring can break out, not just to boxing fans, but to fans in general. Yeah. So uh, Jason revealed afterwards that he's going to be staying probably, it looks like, at super middleweight. Can you see a route back to a world title fight for Jason at super middleweight? Absolutely. Jason, again, he's the, one of the most disciplined kids I've ever worked with. So I'm not worried about him being in the gym or having to look out and trade. I know the dedication and discipline is going to be there. It's just a matter of, we talked about it earlier, not too soon, not too late. It's going to be perfect timing. Uh, gradually get back in there and progress and get up in the rankings. It was suggested that you're going to be working more on, a, on an official basis with Sheer, Elite Sheer. Uh, so what's your role? Are you going to, you're going to have an involvement in Irish boxing? Now for, for absolutely, your, absolutely. I'm, I, I've been very close to Jason's management team, Sheer Sports, Ken and Lyle. And now uh, just I, I want to be a part of Jason. I, I've always have at Golden Boy, but now even more so on the Jason side, on the training side, on the management side. And yes, absolutely. I'll be working with uh, Sheer Sports as a consultant and helping them uh, develop hopefully some world champions. And that was Roberto Diaz after Jason Quigley's win. You can hear he's in high spirits. And uh, why wouldn't he be? He's having a beer on Irish soil and he's, uh, he's having a great time for himself. Since then, obviously, as I've stated, they have announced Jason Quigley's next fight. He is fighting Edgar Berlanga. And Jason says, this fight is massive for me. I need to get in there now, put in a great performance and come away victorious. That'll put me right in line for a world title shot and put me right in line for the biggest names in the super middleweight division. And it could even give Ber it could even give Roberto Diaz a bit of a headache. You never know. Win this fight, and you could be looking at a fight with uh, Canelo Alvarez down the line. And for uh, Diaz, it'll be like putting two of his kids together. But look, thank for thanks for joining us this week on the Rocky Road. Join us again next week. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.